So Acts 15, 20, uh, Acts 15, 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Thank you, Matthew. By the way, that's my oldest son. His day of birth is tomorrow. 27 years old. Get a chance to honor him. I still remember when he was born, he was born our first child. We didn't know anything. He was born with a cone head. And I truly thought he's going to be working in a circus for his entire life, making money as a spectacle. I did not know. I, they put a hat on him, and I said, thank you, Lord, something to cover that up. But look at him now. He's got a normal shaped head. I did not know that that was normal with children. That was a shock, but man, we love that kid. I remember when he was born. This has nothing to do with the message. But I, I just have to tell you, I love him so much. I remember when he was born, um, he was crying, and I'm comforting Denise, and he's about eight feet away or six feet away under that sun lamp, and they're cleaning him up, and they're stamping his feet and his hands. And I remember he's just crying and crying and crying, and I'm holding Denise, and I look over and I said, Matthew... It's daddy, and he stopped, and he turned his head right towards me, and I felt like electricity go from my toes to my head, and that was when that connection began with my son and I, so I love that kid. He is an awesome, awesome young man. All right, enough with the cheesy stories. Acts 15, we are in the city of Antioch, and the city of Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. This is a really big deal of a town huge. It's in modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was called Asia Minor. It is the southwest central part of Turkey, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, where the church was born. But here in Antioch, in the Roman Empire, it's the cradle of Christianity. It's where the church grew up from infancy. It was the base of missionary work to the Roman Empire. It's where the gospel went out to the Roman Empire. And in that city was a thriving church, and two of their leaders, Paul and Barnabas, had spent significant time helping these believers grow. But then Paul's heart, which beat so wildly for the unsaved in the Roman Empire, his heart began to grow with a desire within it to stir him to go back and strengthen the churches that they had started on their first missionary journey. We studied through that, Acts 13, 14, and 15. And he says to Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, verse 36, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas said, yes, I want to do that too. Verse 37, but he wanted to take with them John called Mark. And it was almost like a soundtrack of a movie where it just screeches to a halt. 
because verse 38 happens. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You've got the word withdrawn. It's really interesting, actually. It means to forsake, to desert. And it has a bit of a suggestion that someone is being seduced to follow a path different than the one they're on. And friends, I want to tell you at the beginning of this message, the devil is masterful at tempting us through our weaknesses. And he will tempt us through our fears. And I want you to think about that for a moment. What is one of the fears that rages in your heart? And do not sit there and pretend you have no fears. It is the most common predicament behind pride in all of the Bible. Where is there a worry? Where is there an anxiety? Where is, where is there a fear? Maybe it's the fear of losing your job. Maybe it's a fear of a downturn in the economy. Maybe it's the fear of the end times. Maybe it's a fear of rejection. Whatever that fear might be, the devil will use it to tempt you. And through that fear, he's going to try to seduce you off of the path of wisdom onto the way of folly that leads to death. This is what the devil does. He is the tempter, and we're going to see perhaps this at work in Mark. Maybe young Mark, for he was young at the time, was fearful of what they're going to encounter on this missionary journey. In fact, after all, he deserted them just when things started to get hard. They had landed in Perga. Perga in, in uh, Asia Minor was a coast city. It was brutally hot. It was humid. It was a breeding ground for malaria. In fact, most people believe Paul contracted malaria in Perga in that moist, hot, humid environment and then headed to the mountains, the dry, arid climate, to heal from it. Malaria destroys the eyes, destroys your vision. Whatever the reason, Mark left them as they were about to set off into the wild, bandit-infested mountains of the interior lands. He's young, perhaps just not ready for this difficult of a ministry and difficult it would be. Paul and Barnabas are going to go into towns. They're going to be chased out of two of them. They're going to be worshipped as gods one day, and then the very next condemned as heretics. They're going to drag Paul out with a rope into a field, and they're going to stone him and leave him for dead. He's going to revive. Barnabas and Paul are going to go on to the next town, and then they're going to reverse their track, and they're going to go back through all of these towns that rejected them and strengthen the disciples, those who came to know Jesus, installing elders into these new churches. Friends, this is a fact. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. And Mark seemed to just not be ready for the challenge. Now, let me tell you a little bit about ministry and those who are in leadership of ministry, because we're going to deep dive into this. If you've been on a church board or if you've been in full-time ministry, you'll understand what I'm about to tell you. It has gotten to the point where every person that comes to be an elder or a deacon in our church, we give them a warning. And we warn them that you're going to be under attack. Friends, I'm not exaggerating this. It is without fail they get attacked. Either they lose their job, they lose their health, or they lose, or the beginning of losing their marriage. Whatever it might be, it's amazingly consistent that when you get into leadership of a church, 
you will be under more attack than you probably have ever been by the enemy. It is hard. It is not for the faint of heart. That is why you must be mature to come onto the board as an elder or a deacon. But before we even look at the rest of this incident, let me take you back to two weeks ago. Because two weeks ago, I I told you that you're never going to see the name devil in Acts 15, but you're going to see his fingerprints all through it. In fact, the name devil is the Greek word diabolos, which is translated to strike one and divide and separate. It's to strike in order to divide and separate. That's what the name devil means. He's always trying to divide, to divide, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your family, whether it's your friendships or your ministry or even in your church. The devil never tries to strengthen your marriage. He never tries to strengthen your Christian friendships. He's never going to try to strengthen your family. He's always He's always inundated with the opposite motivation. He wants to strike and divide and separate. That's what he does. He doesn't know any other way. And we tend to blame all division, whether that's marriage, family, or your church, on the people that are involved, and certainly, as we're going to see, they bear responsibility. But what we overlook is the one behind it all, the devil. And he is hatching plans and strategies that often take years to really launch. He is a being whose evil heart beats to separate and divide and attack. This diabolical enemy was loving, verse 39. Look at it with me. There arose a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so that they separated from each other. Now, let's get our bearings personally. Let me warn you for a moment, Christian brother and sister. The devil is working to divide you. It's not... Maybe one day he will. He already is. He has plans. Listen, please listen to this. He has plans and he has strategies that he knows he's not even going to implement for five years, ten years, but he already knows your weaknesses. He knows them better than you and I know ours. He's got strategies and plans that all have a common denominator. They are going to divide you from people in your life. That's always what he does. That little bit of gossip that you hear that tastes so good, it goes down and then it turns rancid in your stomach, your soul. That's from the devil. Your flesh was eagerly taking it. The world modeled it for you. But that was inserted into you through the devil. The devil, if you ever are accused in a way that's denigrating you, demeaning you, if you have somebody that accuses you in that way, friends, listen, you need to know that's not coming from God. God does not speak that language. That is coming from the accuser of the brethren. And its intended purpose is to divide. If somebody shares a salacious bit of gossip or someone slanders somebody else to you, or if someone spreads strife and they're not dealing with it in unity, you need to know two things. That's coming from the devil. Your flesh is willingly taking it in. The world is modeling it. That's one. And the second one is this. God hates it and he finds it an abomination. The devil doesn't know any other way. 
He's loving that a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas so that they would what? Separate from one another. There's the fingerprints of the devil. And even though the devil was undoubtedly involved, you cannot blame him for their failure any more than we can blame the devil for ours. Yes, he's tempting, but we in Christ have all we need to overcome. And Paul and Barnabas were also responsible. And I want you to listen to what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Look what he didn't say. What causes most of them? What causes some of them? No, this is a universal blanket question. What causes every single fight and quarrel you're ever going to have? And then he answers it. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So I've got a desire in my heart. My wife Denise has a desire in her heart. And as long as those two desires are the same desire or in the same measure, we have peace, we have unity. But when she wants something and I want something and they're either different desires, different motivations, different needs, different demands, different expectations, or they're in the different measure from one another, another, then here comes the potential for conflict. See, conflict and quarrels come from desires that are at war in your heart. You want, the other person wants, they're not the same or they're in different measure, and here comes conflict. That's the universal reason why we fight. Paul and Barnabas each had desires raging in their hearts, and it's causing an intensifying quarrel. Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them. Paul thought best not to take him. Barnabas said, yes, Paul, we should. And Paul said, no, Barnabas, we shouldn't. And back and forth, it must have gone until it escalated into a sharp disagreement. That's two words in the English, but it's only one word in the Greek language, and it's this word, paroxysm. Think of peroxide being poured out on a wound, an infected wound, and it bubbles immediately. That's this word. It's a word for a violent body-racking coughing fit. It's a word for a seizure or a convulsion. The air grew thick between these two godly leaders from their emotions and their disagreement, and it turns into a conflict that eventually leads to separation. And you've got to be asking, as I am asking, how could these two godly men who minister together separate from conflict? Now, let's just get it out. There's an elephant in this room, right? Because we're seeing this. We've seen this happen here at our church between myself, Pastor Matthew, our elders, and some of the core people on the board that left. We've seen this happen. How can godly men allow this to happen? Well, let's get all of us off the judge's seat of criticality because really you could come back down to the flat level ground before the cross. How could any Christian couple who has children divorce? How can any Christian business partnership dissolve and end in litigation? How can anyone that's been in a church for decades leave their church family in anger. We all can answer this question. We all fail. Let's remember what the devil is trying to do and our flesh willingly cooperates with. How does it happen? How specifically did Paul and Barnabas get to the point where they couldn't work through a disagreement, a paroxysm, 
and separate. Let me give you a couple clues that we can observe that I think are probably factors in this division. Number one, the rotten fruit of division often comes from a seed of betrayal. The rotten fruit of division often comes from a seed of betrayal. Now, Paul and Barnabas, for them, it's not unlikely, friends, that the seeds of their division started much before this verse in Acts 15. In fact, it happened, I think, in an incident that happened previously in that very city of Antioch that Galatians chapter 2 captures. But when Peter, Paul wrote, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, before Jerusalem, this circumcision party, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. He had fellowship. He counted them as friends. But when this group came from Jerusalem, Peter drew back, separated himself. There's the devil's fingerprints. Fearing, here's how he works, the circumcision party. Now watch this. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That happened before Acts 15. And it was part of what blew up in the church of Antioch that caused them to have to go to Jerusalem to get a resolution. Barnabas sided with Peter over his own ministry partner, and both of them were led astray in a theological error. And even though this disagreement was eventually resolved, seditious betrayal by a ministry partner, friends, it will easily lead to division between those in ministry. And if you've been in ministry or a marriage or a family or a business partnership or a neighborhood and you've had somebody betray you, you know how difficult it is to resolve that. But I think there's a second clue. Division often comes when the lines of authority are blurred. Now, I've been teaching you throughout this series since a long time ago in this series that the order of their names, Paul and Barnabas, shifted. Don't you remember that Paul, nobody in the church would trust him. He was persecuting the Christians. He was sentencing them to death. Nobody would take a chance on him other than Barnabas. Barnabas took him under his wing Barnabas installed him in ministry, taught him the ropes, mentored him, discipled him. And it was always in the beginning, Barnabas and Paul. And in the Greek language, that means something. It's communicating prominence and significance and authority. This is the infallible, inerrant word of God. If it's got Barnabas before Paul, God's telling us Barnabas is the leader. But at some point, those names reversed. In fact, Pastor Kyle brought it out in his sermon several weeks ago. And now it was in Acts 13. It was now Paul and Barnabas. And then in verse 13, Acts 13, it was now Paul and his companions. Even though Barnabas was there, his name's not even mentioned. Now Paul is the prominent apostle in God's call to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Even Jesus had said it back in Acts 9. Go, Peter, for, or Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, Paul is, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now Paul is the leader. 
And in their disagreement over Mark, Paul had the authority and the right to make the final decision. Here we've got in the Greek, Barnabas keeps on insisting, that's the Greek tense for wanted to take. He keeps on saying, I want to take Mark, I want to take Mark. And Paul keeps on saying, no, we cannot trust him. He cannot be counted on. And they could not find agreement on this matter. Perhaps Paul was concerned that Barnabas really wasn't seeing things very clearly because after all, Mark was his own cousin. Isn't that what Colossians 4.10 says? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Maybe Paul was saying, Barnabas, you're not seeing this right. I know he's your blood relative. I know you love him. I know he's your cousin, but he's not ready for this difficult of a ministry. And friends, I want you to hear something. Paul had the authority to make that call. And Barnabas kept disagreeing. But it wasn't a disagreement about vision. It wasn't a disagreement about taking the gospel to the unreached Gentiles. This is a disagreement of strategy, specifically who should go with them. Which one was right? Or was either right? And even there, we have a small clue to the answer. And I want to get you to think a little bit more deeply for a minute. You see division in church leaders, or you see division among a married couple. And there's part of us that always says this. There is his truth, there is her truth, and then there's the true truth somewhere in the middle. Friends, that's not always correct. Don't tell an abuse victim that they share 50-50 blame, or 30-70. That's hardly going to be helpful. It's not always 50-50. It's not always two-sided, but it is usually. So it doesn't really help us to try to come to Paul and Barnabas and go, okay, well, it's Paul and it's Barnabas, and they're both 50-50 wrong or both 50-50 right. That's hardly helpful. It's not helpful in any real-world relationship. So what's the clue? Look at verse 39. And there arose a small disagreement, or a sharp, rather, disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Now watch this, because here's your clue. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Well, let's just start with this. No one comes out of division smelling like a rose. Nobody does, and everyone in a church is affected. But these two men of God separated. Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus back to his home island. Paul took Silas on his second missionary journey that we're going to be looking at. And here's where we see that clue, and we've got to address it. Paul and Silas were commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord but the same is not said of Barnabas and Mark. You cannot ignore that. What we do know and what we will see is that Paul's ministry is going to continue to thrive, and we are left wondering what happens to Barnabas. He's never going to be mentioned again in the book of Acts. In fact, he's only mentioned once more in all of the New Testament, and we're going to look at that in a little bit, but what really happens to Barnabas? 
And that might not be any more significant that, that Luke is focusing on the spread of, the, of Christianity in the Gentile world and like an embedded reporter is following Paul and now Silas. It might just be that. But we might be seeing here the, the lack of approval that the church gave to Barnabas. But one cannot read of this division without being left grieved. And we wonder with saddened, grievous hearts, why couldn't these two just resolve their differences and stay together? Let me give you three reasons, and this will get us to the conclusion of the message. First and foremost, I want you to remember there is significant spiritual war that church leaders face. Let me tell you what happens when you become a leader in the church. The devil unleashes war in greater degree than he did before. Not just to you, friend, to your wife, to your children, to your spouse. He goes after everybody. He is a relentless enemy. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have nothing to fear. But there is a connection against division and the devil. And Romans 16 brings it out. I appeal to you, brothers, Paul says, to watch out for those who cause divisions. These people were in the church. These are people in the community. These are people in the federal government. These are people in the church, and they are causing divisions, and they create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. The Bible says avoid them. Paul's going to counsel Titus. Confront the person who's divisive once, do it again another time, and then after that, have nothing to do with them. Here he says, avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And how do they do it? How do they cause division? They have smooth talk and flattery, and they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now watch the connection with the devil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There will be a time, friends, where there is never another division in a marriage, in a church, and in a friendship. But that time is not now. So pray for your church leaders. Pray that we all watch carefully for those who cause division. Pray that we would watch our own selves carefully and that we would resolve differences well with love and truth and unity. But let me give you another point that you're going to want to know. Every godly leader has clay feet and needs humility. This is absolutely true of me as much as any other leader in the church. We all have clay feet. That means that we might look like we've got things together, but very, the base of our very lives is prone to disintegration. We have weaknesses. See, Barnabas was an encourager. He's called the son of encouragement. And friends, if that's you, if you're an encourager, I'm going to tell you something. You've got the gift of mercy. There is no encourager without the gift of mercy. 
And Paul was an exhorter, and if you're an exhorter, you've got the gift of discernment. You can see through a matter to the conclusion of it. That's what discernment is. So when you see somebody beginning to leave the way of wisdom that leads to the way of folly, your discernment becomes exhortation. Don't leave it. Get back to it. I see where you're going, and you don't see it, but I see the cliff ahead of you. That's how the gift of discernment works. But there's a danger and there's clay feet. With people who have mercy gifts, they seek to please people. And there's clay feet with those who have the gift of discernment because they tend to be harsh with people. Encouragers tend to minimize truth for the sake of relationships. Discerners minimize relationship for the sake of the truth. And we've got both in Paul and Barnabas. Here comes the gift of encouragement the gift of mercy in collision with the gift of discernment and they are clashing whatever your spiritual gifts are friends they are not meant to operate in silos you need other people to compliment you we need to be humble teachable and faithful every godly leader has feet of clay and it proves their weaknesses when pressures come and i am no exception to this The third and finally, God has a way of changing division to multiplication. He has a way of changing division to multiplication. We should not doubt that Barnabas would continue to serve God faithfully, for Paul would later write of him. This is is a decade later. He's going to write of Barnabas, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? In other words, listen, confirm and affirm, Barnabas is a hard worker for the gospel. He is a laborer who deserves his wages. He's speaking well of Barnabas. They didn't separate and hate each other. They didn't separate and denigrate each other. They didn't slander each other. These are two men that still held each other in high esteem, but they went in opposite directions. You know what church history says happened to Barnabas? That he went back to Cyprus. That's where his home was. He grew up in Cyprus. He was a Levitical Jew. And he kept laboring for the gospel until finally the enemies of Christ put a rope around his ankles and dragged him out of the home or out of the church and tied him to a stake and burned him to death for his faith. That's what church tradition says was the end of Barnabas. And if that is true, which I think it probably is, he served Jesus to the end. And as unfortunate as this separation was between Paul and Barnabas, now there's two missionary teams instead of one. And we know that Mark would mature. He's going to become a ministry partner of Paul's. And in fact, when Paul knew that his end was coming near, his final book was 2 Timothy. He sent it to young Timothy. He says in that book, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, Timothy, and bring him with you, for he is very young useful to me for ministry. This is Paul and Mark, who decades before Paul wanted nothing to do with Mark. Now Mark has matured, Paul has softened, and they are working together for Christ. 
And through all of this, a new leader is going to emerge in a little-known person called Silas, who's going to be an encourager like Barnabas. He's got the gift of mercy like Barnabas, and he's going to be a faithful friend and ministry partner for both Paul and Peter. See, friends, the devil, the separator, will never have the final say, and our weak, fallible hearts will never thwart the sovereign purposes of our God. God will have his way, and he will change division to multiplication. All right, now I'm only a couple minutes. I'm going to end in just about two minutes. But I want to address something as honestly as I can and very graciously. For those of you who are aware, and I think this will probably be maybe one of the final times that I bring this up. I have to because this is where Acts has taken us. But for those of you who are aware of the division that we have recently experienced, let me, let me encourage you to not look at this sermon that I just preached as anything but my best attempt to exposit it accurately. This is not an attempt to blame anyone. This is not an attempt to blame Pastor Matthew. There is no one here that ought to be angry and bitter and despise him or anybody that goes to his church. I do not want that. I want us to love. I want us to be gracious. I want us to speak well and pray for their ministry. And for all of us, myself, Pastor Matthew, all the elders to learn and grow and be more humble and teachable and faithful than ever before. It's not an attempt to blame anyone, but to acknowledge that all of our leadership has a responsibility for what has happened in our church and including certainly chiefly myself. So what do we do? We learn. We go forward in grace. We strive to be humble, teachable, and faithful, and be on guard against our true enemy because we know that he's trying to divide, but we know that our God is greater, and he can turn division to multiplication. Amen? Let's pray for that. Father, I thank you as we are about to go into one more song. Lord, that we would take this message to heart. And Father, that we would love better than we have loved before. And Lord, that we would see that it's okay to go different ways, but we must love each other in the process. Father, I thank you for what you brought. You turned division into multiplication. From one team came two. And you brought such fruit from their ministries. Lord, I pray that we would see that here at Cornerstone, that Pastor Matthew would see that as well. Lord, that there would be true fruit. And that all of us in leadership and all of us in this church would understand every single salacious gossip and slander and bit of strife is coming from the devil. And our flesh loves it. The world models it but that cannot be the church. We must love, and I pray that you would help us do that. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.